Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Winds Howling, a companion podcast to the Witcher TV show on Netflix. We'll be diving deep into each episode of the show and exploring the larger context of the story from the games and novels. My name's Abu. I'm Brett. And Brett, we're back to talk about episode five of The Witcher. Which also means we have cleared the halfway point of the first season. We have. That's amazing to think. Yeah, we're over the halfway hump. The finish line is in sight. And I can't wait till we get there. It's been a blast. I hope you have enjoyed our five episodes thus far. It has been, and I have enjoyed it, but it's going to be very bittersweet because now we know that the show is not coming back for at least one year because it's going to come back sometime in 2021. So once we're finished with everything, then it's time to just sit and wait. Oh, yeah. I don't know what you plan to do for the next year, but I'm going to reread the books. And probably I honestly started up another playthrough of the game just this week. Oh, that sounds a lot more productive than what I was going to do. I was going to go down uh, with a net and try to find a magic lamp and a gin <laughs> to wish season two into existence uh, right now. But maybe yeah. yours is a little more practical. I don't know, man. Yours gets a season two much faster, and I definitely want that. <laughs> or I can have my throat almost ripped out by a gin. You know, it's a give and take. It's a risk when you, when you play around it's with a risk. A I might be willing to take. True, true. So let's start off our episode today like we always do with a quick recap, and then we'll jump into our three key moments from this episode. So the fifth episode is titled Bottled Appetites, and this one covers the short story The Last Wish, and it tells us all about the adventures between Geralt and Yaskier and this infamous gym, and of course, Geralt and Yennefer meet here for the first time. So a very exciting episode. Let's kick off the recap, then we'll do our three key moments, and then we'll wrap up with our final thoughts. Kyer hires a Doppler who kills and takes the form of Mousesack. The Doppler is sent to find Ciri and bring her back alive. Yennefer makes a purchase from a mage shop owner. We learn that she's living off the grid, independent of the Brotherhood. The shop owner tells Yennefer that she could make a pretty penny with her talents in the nearby towns. And so, that's exactly what she does. In Brokalon, the Dryads debate over whether Ciri should be allowed to stay. The Queen of the Dryads believes Ciri's power could save them from Nilfgaard and other human invasions, and declares that Ciri will stay. Yaskir finds a very agitated Geralt fishing near the town. It turns out Geralt is fishing for a djinn, and as luck would have it, he catches the djinn's bottle in his net. Yaskir wrestles the bottle away from Geralt, breaking its seal and releasing the djinn. Yaskir rattles off two quick wishes before Geralt interrupts. Geralt wants the third wish so he can ask for some peace. Suddenly, Yaskir begins choking and coughing up blood. Geralt rushes to the town and finds a doctor who tells him that the bard's affliction can only be treated by a mage. Geralt heads to the mayor's house where the town's mage is apparently being held. Tysaia visits Yennefer to warn her that the Brotherhood will come after her 
if she keeps up her recent behavior. We learn that Yennefer has desperately been searching for any and every possible cure for her infertility. At the mayor's house, Geralt has his fateful meeting with Yennefer. The sexual tension could be cut with a knife. And not just because the room is full of enchanted townsfolks having an orgy. Geralt asks her to heal Yaskier, and Yennefer seems uninterested until she learns it was a djinn that attacked him. She puts Yaskier in a healing sleep and insists that Geralt take a bath. We get our second iconic bathtub scene as Geralt and Yennefer swap witty jabs and continue to fill the room with sexual tension. It's clear that the two are attracted to each other and in more ways than just lust. Yennefer surprises Geralt by telling him that she'll heal Yaskier for free. A skeptical Geralt checks in on the sleeping bard and realizes that Yennefer intends to summon and capture the djinn, putting Yaskier and herself in danger. Yennefer puts Geralt under a spell and he loses consciousness. Geralt wakes up in a jail cell with Caradin, who explains that Yennefer's spell made Geralt go around town and beat up her rivals on the city council. While getting roughed up by the guard, Geralt says, I want you to burst, you son of a whore. And the guard's head bursts. We learn Geralt is the djinn's master, not Yaskier. Yennefer forces Yaskier to make a wish, and then she summons the djinn, intending to capture it. A terrified Yaskier flees the room and meets up with Geralt outside. Geralt, despite Yaskier's desperate pleas to leave the sexy but insane witch to her fate, rushes into the house to save Yennefer. Geralt tries to convince Yen to release the djinn. She tells him to make his last wish so that she can capture it, but he refuses. In a desperate moment, Geralt whispers a wish we cannot hear, and the djinn leaves without overpowering Yen. The roof collapses over the two. Karadin and Yaskir mourn the death of their friends, but it turns out Yennefer had portaled them to the first floor where they can no longer stand the sexual tension. A very sad-looking Karadin pulls Yaskir away from the window as Geralt and Yennefer make love. In Brokolon, Doppler Mousesack arrives to take Ciri away. He tells her he knows where to find Geralt. She convinces Dara to come with her, and the three leave Brokolon. And are we gonna are we gonna talk about Doppler Mousesack? I don't think we can not talk about that, right? It's actually not one of our three key moments, which is notable. Because I don't think it's a key moment, right? Like it's. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess the big thing is here is the takeaway that, like, Mousesack is killed. Yes. And that's a bit, you know, that's a change. He doesn't die in the books, although he never. That's really comes a huge back. change. It is. I guess it's more or less because it's her relationship. Oh, I'm sorry, his relationship with Siri in that sense that she will talk about. But it was just I don't know. It was the the Dopplers in this show are really weird. Yeah. Like Very really interesting characterization. Weird. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. How, how did you feel about this? Le okay, let's briefly... So the entire Brokelon section and the Doppler section isn't in our three key moments that we're going to talk about. But I think we should briefly just touch on it real quick. How did you feel about this entire sort of B-plot in this episode? It's weird. Because again, once like... It yeah, goes back to the Dopplers yeah. and going back to the previous episodes... Um, the previous one, I believe, is where the Doppler cut off that piece of Calanthe's forearm and ate it. Right. And then Fringilla <laughs> disemboweled him. And then it was just like they feed, then they like uh, feel through it. And they were like, oh, she's in Brokolon. <laughs> so, right, right. Um, I, like I said, 
it's very easy. It's not that big a thing. It's just really weird. Uh, the same with Kyer here as well with the Dopplers. I'm just going to say it's really weird. I, I'm not, I don't dislike it. I don't like it. It's not doing anything for me in that sense. It's just kind of like, huh, maybe it could be one of those things where they think it didn't really hit either and we never see it again. Or maybe they have something else they kind of go on. Because, yeah, the Dopplers are the Dopplers are something else in this series. Yeah, I, I will actually go so far as to say that I disliked it. Like, I I feel like the Doppler here only exists as a way to get Siri out of Brokolon. Like, they, it feels like a Band-Aid to a problem where they were like, hey, we're changing up what's happening at Brokolon. We discussed this a little yeah, bit in our yeah. previous episode. How the heck do we get Siri out of Brokolon, you know, without breaking too much of the lore? Because the whole idea of the Dryads hiding in Brokolon is that they attack and kill basically anyone who approaches the forest. And they came up with this like Doppler, someone who knows Siri, transform him into Mouse Sag. I don't know. It, I will I will actually go far as to say that I disliked this entire B-plot in this episode in particular. And I also don't like what they're doing with my boy Kahir. He's, he's really coming off as like a one-note, generically evil villain. In the series, they've made Kair and they've clearly made Nilfgaard it's like cultish evil, like you said, kind of like a one note, okay, we have to be fighting against them, which in the books, they were always fighting against Nilfgaard anyway, but it's, it's very, like one note, one is the easy way to put it, like the best way to put it there. It's one note, and I guess we'll just have to see. Yeah, we'll just have to see. Well, on a brighter note, let's actually move on to our three key moments from this episode. And all of these are, in my opinion, genuinely enjoyable, juicy bits of scenery that I went back and watched multiple times as I was taking notes in preparation for today. And I, I genuinely enjoyed these parts of the episode. And they all, of course, took place in Rind. They all took place with this sort of A plot that was happening between the Yennefer and Geralt and the Jinn and Yaskir and all of that. So the first key moment that I have written down for us here is that conversation between Tysaia and Yennefer, what was your read on this conversation in the room? Because I think there was a lot of subtle subtext here. It definitely was to show, or at least what I got out of it, it definitely was to show that Yen is not only fully independent, that she's actively antagonistic towards Tysaia and towards Eratusa towards magic, everything in that sense. Like, it's not just, oh, I don't care about them. They're nothing to me. Kind of like Geralt will have a lot of indifference. Yen is antagonistic towards it. And she's incredibly arrogant here. She's arrogant throughout this entire episode, which is just funny as hell. But here she's especially arrogant because Tissay is basically asking her, come back to Eratusa and essentially teach, or I guess you can say prep her to be a rectoress to succeed her. And Yen is just like, are you out of your mind? Because again, she's not the same Yen that Tissaia trained and raised. And especially in the sense of, she sure as hell ain't going back to Eratusa just to chill and teach. Because again, she wants everything. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a completely different Yen in this scene. The 30 years difference from where we knew Yen back in Eratusa when she was studying under Tissaia and the yen that we meet here in Rind in the mayor's home, quite different. The 30 years have not been kind to her. And we're going to dive into her, into Tysaia's request 
for Yennefer to come back and teach at Eretuza in a second here. I do want to start off by discussing some of the political updates that Tessia delivered. So she appears here in this room, this very lavish room that Yennefer is staying in, in the mayor's home. And Tessia delivers a couple of political updates. Uh, I just want to point them out because they may or may not be important in the future. The first thing that she says is that Adern is now ruled over by King Demavend. That's a name that will be familiar to many Witcher game players. And also, that's the king that we primarily know in the books of Adern. So that is sort of a Easter egg for Witcher fans out there. But I think what she says next is even more important and will become extremely relevant. And we, ah, I wish we could talk about it, but we can't talk about it quite yet. Tysaia mentions that down in Nilfgaard, Fringilla has been thriving in her role. And she also mentions that the rightful heir of Nilfgaard has returned and retaken the throne. Fringilla has helped the rightful heir retake his throne from the usurper. That is so important. And it's just so, it makes my skin crawl knowing that show only watchers don't realize how important that one line is. It's very juicy stuff for fans like you and I who, who know what that means. Yeah, they mention the scene that we talked about the mouse sack and the Doppler when Fringilla, you know, they talk about like the white flame. And it's weird how is that, is that like the cult of Nilkgaard or is that someone who trained her? So they're being very, very vague in reference to Nilfgaard at this time. And I think it has to do with what they've talked about, how Nilfgaard, they want Nilfgaard to be small at this point, and they're expanding and almost mysterious. Right, right. We're getting little, little breadcrumb trails as to who Nilfgaard is and how they operate and who their leader is. And all of these things will, of course, expand as we continue into future seasons of the show. Um, but definitely very nice to see that they are starting to lay those that early foundation even here and this early on in season one. Let's talk about the extremely other important discussion that Tessia and Yennefer have. Of course, they Tessia invites Yennefer to come back to Eratusa, but they also discuss Yennefer's motivations. And this was something that we had hinted at in our previous episode. Here, it's made extremely clear what Yennefer is after and what she wants and to what length she will go to obtain it. She wants to cure her infertility. Yeah, she wants back what... Eratusa or the mages, or you can even make it personal and say Tessaia, took from her. And she mentions in there that she didn't know like, that that was going to be it, even though it was very clearly stated in the show, she knew. So I think the biggest thing to take from here is she's so much older now. And it's easy when you're younger to say, oh, I'm never going to want that, or I'm never going to do that. Mm -hmm. And then 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60... Years later, when essentially, because that's another thing too, they don't age, but they would still age mentally in that sense. Right. Like they wouldn't just be a 30 year old for 30 years and then a 35 year old and then it's 40 year old. And so with this, it's going to be she has all this experience, she has the wisdom, she has the jadedness, if you will, from all these years. And she's realizing that either she wants a baby to have a legacy of. Or she wants a baby because it represents what was essentially stolen from her, or at least misled. So are those the two reasons you think she wants the baby? 
because I'm actually curious. I, I want I wanted us to sort of dig into Yennefer's motivations here for a minute because you know Yennefer doesn't strike you initially as the type of person who wants motherhood, right? She's so ambitious. She, she's so powerful. She's especially in this scene and beyond extremely arrogant. Um, not the sort of traits you would expect from a loving and caring mother, you know? Uh, do you think there's more to her just wanting the baby beyond just, I want to be a mom? Do you think it's just a maternal instinct or is it more? As far as, as far as the show Yennefer goes, I don't think they, they've done enough on that. The only thing we get is in the previous episode when the baby dies, the princess dies going through that portal, and we get her speech in that aspect. I guess we can kind of go there and be like, oh, is she sad that the baby died? Because she went back to save the baby. You know, she left the queen to die, and then she goes back, and we can only just assume that's to save the baby. She obviously didn't give a shit about that queen. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess from that we can take it that maybe she, again, it could just be empathy. Maybe she just really wants to do it. It doesn't say that she wants like a daughter or a son, but it could just be something where legacy, I'm not really, I'm, I'm really not sure of in the show. And even in the books, you know, Yen, Yen is a much bigger character. She's a main character in the show. There's three main characters in the show. I would not consider her a main character in the books. I would literally have the only main characters in the books are Geralt and Ciri, because we really, and again, no, no book spoilers in there. There's, you know, other podcasts that listen to to find out about that if you want to. You can read it up. But there is a large chunks of those books where Yen is MIA, where nobody knows where she's at. Maybe you're right. I, I actually love that you brought that up. But I suspect in the TV show, now that, like you said, Yennefer has a greater role, she's a main character, she's part of the main cast. And particularly the fact that the show has a woman showrunner, Lauren Hisrick. That's the biggest thing, yeah. I I have a feeling we are going to see some more nuanced explorations of Yennefer's motivations and why she wants a child, beyond just the fact that women are made to have children, which is perhaps all the motivation that she was given in the books. I think you're absolutely spot on. One thing I will say, I think definitely there is a little bit of arrogance in her decision here and a little bit of spite in this decision. I think she wants to throw this infertility that she has taken from Eratusa back in Eratusa's face by finding out a way to correct it. And I think that also plays into it. And of course, you know, having a child, there's not just ever one motivation. People have a variety of emotions when it comes to childbirth and childcare. And I think just one of the many emotions that Yennefer is going through is definitely spite. She, she needs to let, er- she needs to basically throw the middle finger at Eratusa and let, let them know that she is done with them once and for all. Yeah. And I see this at least from a firsthand real world is again, coming from the athletic background um, like at the college basketball level, you'll have people who come in and they might not like the coach, but the coach might work them really hard and they just don't enjoy their experience, but they go on to great success. And then it comes back to where someone, you know, that coach wants to say like, oh, I helped train that person. I helped do that. And the person, the player who has gone on to success 
can be that same way of just like, oh, you want me to do well so long as you've had your hand in it, as you've written yes, down here, I what Yen says. And it comes back also where, not as much, but the head coach I worked for in college, he was told by his high school coach, like his high school coach was a dream crusher, said you will never play Division One basketball, and just kind of like always tore him down. Well, he eventually got there and eventually played Division One basketball and has now been a Hell head yeah. coach of Division One basketball for like 15 some odd years. He's still to this day, again, this is something that happened over 20 years ago, and he has been a success, got to the college basketball player, been a successful head coach for, again, going on 15 years now. If you ask him about that, he will tell you every single thing because it is still in his psyche of that. And you can call it petty, you can call that a spite, or you can call it a motivator. And I think that's yeah. what happened with Yen here is Yen has taken that on, her abuse and that's another thing, too. It's hard to talk about Yen without saying that she is a survivor of abuse. She is an abuse yes, victim yes, who now has absolutely. been able to transcend all of that to where the physical and the mental, but it is her, and she's never going to get over it, and she's never going to let it go. And she's basically telling to say it right here, like, whatever happens, like, I will remember everything that happened to me, even though my, I was abused by my parents and all that. I'll never forget you taking me away, the way that that was treated, the way everything that happened, and what I'm losing out on now. She will never let her forget that. That's something I think show watchers should particularly keep in mind while they're watching these scenes, and especially some of the scenes coming up too. Yennefer comes off as extremely arrogant and unlikable in a lot of these scenes, and especially on my first watch of this episode. I was extremely turned off by Yennefer. I even have here in my notes that in this scene with Tysaia, she's almost acting like a teenager who wants to run away from home. You know, Tysaia is just like, come home, come back. And you get this like very motherly vibe from Tysaia. And it's clear from the actress's portrayal that Tysaia truly does care about Yennefer at some level. But like you said, Yennefer has just battled through and survived so much abuse that there's really no building this bridge that's been burned. But and that's the thing there is, does she care about Yennefer personally, or does she understand what Yennefer can bring to Eratusa? Because that's what I got out of it. She says in there that Eratusa oh, is everything. She says Eratusa is everything. And that's what we've gotten from the Brotherhood and everything is the, the Brotherhood of Sorcerers and Eratusa for women and Banard for the men is what keeps the continent in check. It's what stops the all-out war. It's what stops the chaos. And so what Tisei is basically doing here is trying to tell Yen, this is more than you. Quit being such a petulant child. This is about saving the continent. And Yen, like you said, there is so arrogant or selfish, but I don't even look at it that way. I mean, it is that way, but I look at it again as Yen is just so upset with the way she was treated. She can't just go back. She looks at Tisei as, again, as that one who brought her down, as opposed to the one who really kind of maybe built her up. Maybe that's because all that we've seen was that. And we didn't really see her come up with Tisea, because she kind of broke off her own thing when she didn't get ascended. That's so interesting that you read it that way, because I, I actually read it at, as Tisea caring for Yennefer on a, on a more personal level outside of Eratusa, and offering this sort of like lifeline to her, like, hey, you're operating in a dangerous zone. The Brotherhood will come after you if you continue down this path. I don't want you to get hurt. 
please come back. And know? that could like, be the case. They're not yeah. necessarily mutually exclusive. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Very interesting that we took different reads on that. But speaking of traumatic childhoods, let's move on to our second key moment of this episode. And it's the iconic bathtub scene. The bathtub scene that we've all been waiting for. What were your thoughts on the bathtub scene? Did they did they nail it? Did they meet our expectations? I like that they had, and again, we, we talked about this before we started. This is not, as far as a short story goes, this is not one of my favorites. I know it's a lot of people favorites. Hey, it's where they meet. Hey, it's where they meet. And with the next thing, the third thing we talk about, I'll get more into it. But this wasn't as much. What I did love about this story, though, was the humor in it. And the humor yes. in, they don't do it in the show, but in the book, uh, Geralt and Yaskier like kind of wrestle and kind of fight over the gin, the lamp. And like, that's how it comes out. And that's how it causes that confusion of not knowing who kind of opened it. And they do it here where they kind of wrestle it. But in the books, I kind of got that they were like on the ground saying, oh no, you do it like a cartoonish kind of thing. And we talked about when Geralt gets to the mage's house, when the guy's like, hey, you got to pay. And Geralt pulls out the sack of coin thinking, oh, he's going to give him this coin, but he smacks him in the face with it. <laughs> yes, bump. And in yep. the books, um, I said it on this other thing, where in the books, he kind of turns back like Hollywood style and is like, money opens all doors. And like but, um, this cheesy 80s thing, <laughs> yeah. I know. And again, it's, you can say it as eye rollish, but again, like to me, that's what The Witcher is. Witcher isn't this serious thing where it goes out. It has stupid Holly, 80s Hollywood lines like that. And so in this, what I liked about it, was when they kind of start to get their little jabs and digs at each other. And they, and they get a little bit more, and they get a little bit more, and then they cut a little too close to home. And he mentions literally, judging by the wrists and the wits. Yes, oof. Something I do want to bring up, at the start of this bathtub scene, Geralt is relaxing in the bathtub, and Yennefer is in her flowing robes at the edge of the tub, and she asks him, why exactly were you fishing for a gin? in the river because you can't sleep. You know, it seems like a pretty extreme solution to solve insomnia. And uh, I like that this gives us a little bit of idea where Geralt's headspace is at this moment, considering what happened in the previous episode and considering what happened at the banquet last week. He's not doing so hot. (laughs) Yeah. So you have down that he wants to wish away his law of surprise. Yes, that's my speculation. I think that's what the show is uh, implying. Okay, I was going to say sell me on that. Yeah, so a couple of moments in this episode, it, it comes up that he can't sleep, and obviously Geralt throughout this episode is very agitated. And I suppose, like using his Witcher knowledge, he maybe guessed that a djinn would be powerful enough to break something as powerful as destiny and to break something as powerful as his law of surprise, the thing that he tied himself to in the previous episode. So at least in the show, that that was my read, that he is looking for this djinn because he suspects that a djinn's magic may be able to break this tie of destiny between him and this unknown child in Sintra that he has yet to meet. Yeah, it seems like it's almost the last-ditch Hail Mary kind of way to break it. And it also shows, yeah, the, like you mentioned, the second thoughts about it, or at least it's in his mind, like, oh, what happened or what did I do, maybe by leaving. To quickly wrap up our second key moment here in this bathtub scene, 
He leaves the bathtub and he goes to the room next door where Yaskier is in his healing sleep and he checks in on him. And we learn that Geralt uh, kind of feels bad for saying that Yaskier singing is terrible. And he doesn't want that to be the last thing that Yaskier heard from his friend is not the word he chooses. Um, but we learn that Geralt at this point has some genuine affection for Yaskier and cares for him and considers him a friend. Yeah, but he won't admit he's a friend because she asks like a friend and he looks back and he doesn't he doesn't say yes. He just says, yeah. I wish that's that's not going to be the last thing he hears or thinks of me or whatever. So he doesn't say like, yeah, he's a friend. But I guess if since it's Geralt, that's the closest thing you're ever going to get at this point. Right, right. Still nice to know that the relationship has developed further and they care for each other now. I doubt Yaskier's getting punched in the gut anymore <laughs> when it comes to being annoying and naggy to Geralt. Geralt has come to uh, appreciate Yaskier's friendship. At least there's a, a good uh, sidekick, if you will. Good yeah. ride along. Yeah, for sure. The Robin to Geralt's Batman. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a quick break here, but stick around. We'll be right back. Hello, everyone. This is Michael from the Lore Party Podcast Network. I'm the producer and host of Minigame, a podcast that takes a deeper look at the stories of our favorite video games. Every episode is only about five to 10 minutes long, and I analyze the themes, characters, and stories in the games we love and highlight games you may never heard of before. Subscribe to Minigame and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and anywhere else you find podcasts. So let's talk about our third and final key moment from this episode. And this moment, of course, is the climactic moment of this entire episode. It's the the moment where Geralt runs in to the mayor's house. Yennefer is struggling to capture this djinn. She doesn't realize that the djinn is still tied to a master because there's one more wish. Because as we find out in the jail cell, Geralt is the master. He still has one more wish to go. And this is where he whispers this very, very iconic and, you know, Witcher fans from decades past have speculated as to what this wish may be, but he whispers a third and final wish, the titular last wish, and the djinn disappears and leaves Yennefer to be instead of taking her over or killing her. What did you think about this scene in particular? Do, do you think they nailed the dramatic sort of scene between Geralt and Yennefer and the djinn. Yeah, and again, I think this would have been this would have been a very probably a better question for someone who again didn't read the book to see if it hit for them. Because uh like you said in here, there's a budget, so you couldn't have it destroying the entire town. And then in the books, Geralt and Yen fight and it's a long fight. And yeah. they teleport. And they kind of teleport to where you can even almost say not time and space, if you will, but they go through all of these things. And again, I'm beating this dead horse, but it's very humorous. They go through like this fancy ball and they go through right. these they, other- they come crashing through like a ballroom scene. Oh, yeah. this ballroom is just like, oh, you know, just <laughs> yeah. shocking thing. These yeah. uppity people and these, this man and this woman come through and they're just fighting each other and then they're gone. And it's, it's much longer in there and uh, it's budgetary wise. And again- 
it's one of those where it is so different. I mean, it, it works. It did what it was supposed to do. I never, even watching it here, and I'll even say this about the books, I never just was just like, oh, yeah, I can see where they love each other and it not be because of the wish. Like, to me, it's very clear they start, like, here, their enemies are fighting, they're fighting, and then, again, it's so fucking Hollywood of, oh, yelling, yelling, yelling. Oh, then they start making out. And it's just yeah. like, that shit uh, that, is not that real. That moment was a bit cringy. Yeah. It, it was, because, but again, it kind of <laughs> happens in the books, too, where they're fighting, they're fighting, and then they're done. He, Geralt makes his wish, which, again, they don't say in the books either, and then they're together. And they start banging in this rubble of the house. <laughs> and it's the same thing, though, where I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I, I don't think this was earned unless it's because of the wish. You know what I mean? And again, yeah. that may probably, may not come up in an episode or two. It might be next episode. Who's to say? Who's to say? Who's to say? <laughs> I will say one 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 thing I want to add about whether or not they love each other. There is that really really quick line when Geralt bursts into the room, and Yennefer says, "Witcher, what are you doing here? Leave me to battle this gin. You're not under my spell anymore." And Geralt takes a step forward and he says, "Quote, and yet here I am." And that's something that Carradine has mentioned over and over again throughout this episode. Carradine, we learn, is in love with Yennefer. That's why he couldn't complete his job and uh, arrest her. He fell in love with her. And this, at least I think from Geralt's perspective, sets up the idea that he feels something more for her beyond just a responsibility to save a fellow human being from a demon attacking. That's a bit of a professional responsibility for Geralt. I think he feels something more here. And this line tells us that. But we don't know if... Yennefer reciprocates. It's hinted at, but I think you're right that we we don't really know if the two love each other beyond just a little bit of sexual interest in each other. And as far as going for Geralt's last wish, it is something that nobody really knows. People can go go on any message board about it and you'll find theory after theory about it. I think this is one of those things that Sapkowski wrote didn't think really anything about. And then as the series went on, it became this massive like point of interest and to where he's like, well, I don't fucking know. I just did it. He doesn't have to explain it. And they're never going to explain it because what could it possibly be? Yeah, Geralt's last wish has definitely taken on sort of this mythological status, uh, probably undeservedly so. I think you are absolutely spot on by saying that Andrzej Sapkowski probably just wrote a thing, didn't think twice about it, and moved on with his story. And all we really need to know from Geralt's last wish is that Geralt and Yennefer have come together in some way, emotionally or in some other magical way. They are now, um, a couple is too strong a word, I think, based off of their very tumultuous relationship in the future. But they they are definitely bound together in some way because of this wish. And I agree with you that the specifics of what he actually whispered here probably don't matter all that much, and nobody probably actually knows anyway. So it no. doesn't matter, really. I mean, the thing I would also think is if there was something there, then I think at least the showrunner, Lauren Histrich, would know. Like yes. that might be something she would have asked him 
And, you know, it could be a lot of those things where it's, oh, it's these secrets that the author can tell the showrunner of these shows. And so if it is there, she probably knows about it. Right. Like if it, if it was something like a Jon Snow parentage thing that like yeah. was pivotal to the story, there was an answer. I feel like Lauren Hissrick would have learned that from Andrzej Sapkowski. And uh, I just don't think it's as important as people have made it out to be. It's just sort of taken on this mythological yeah. status in the Witcher fan base, definitely. All right, let's wrap up our episode with our big picture thoughts and take into account this entire episode and all five that we have discussed thus far. What were your thoughts? This has, and again, I don't know. Th- this has probably been, and it's not I'm saying it's bad, but this has probably been my least liked episode. It's definitely one I will probably never watch again unless I kind of had to. It just didn't, because it, it, it was the 17-minute mark, I think, before you got to Geralt and Yaskier fishing. You had the weird shit with the Dopplers. Ugh. Uh, yeah, the, the Brokolon, like you said there, the more I watch it, the more, like, series, whole storyline in Brokolon is just, eh, you know, it's just there, and it's kind of taking up time, and that's time here. That I would have liked to see Geralt rampaging through the city. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, cut some of that. And so this episode is probably my least favorite. Again, it's not bad. I liked it. Uh, to say in Yen is my favorite scene by far in that sense. Um, it just, it was an episode. It was fine. Uh, I will say I, I agree with a lot of your sentiments, actually, that this episode was actually the first one where I wanted to turn, turn the TV off at some point. And we both know which points that those were. Those were the the Doppler stuff, the Brokolon stuff. It took way too long to get to the Genie stuff, to get to Rind, to get to Yennefer and Geralt meeting. It just, there were moments in this episode where I stopped paying attention because it was so dull. And most of that was almost everything happening in Brokolon. And I agree that something was missing from this episode. And the more I thought about it, and particularly while I was taking notes for our episode today and rewatching it, this episode lacked like a central through line, like a central theme that both the A plot and the B plot were working towards. And I don't know if a theme would have fixed it, but I feel like it was certainly missing. For example, in the in the previous episode, like we talked about this idea that held the episode together, this idea of women suffering and surviving in a man's world. And every story, Yennefer's story, even the Brokolon story, and particularly the Banquet story in episode four, fed into that theme. That, I think, was missing here in episode five. Yeah, the the one that tied together was both, it seemed, Geralt and Yen were trying to make a wish, find the djinn, to either change... They're maybe not, maybe not not become a witcher or not become a sorceress, but change something that was inherent to them being a witcher or her being a sorceress. And Ceres was just more of, you're special, you're special. And she's just like, oh, I'm special. Yeah. Hey, did and, you know you're special though? Yeah, did you know, like... you're, you're special. <laughs> and again, that, that plays into later, but it's just meandering. That storyline is yes. just meandering and it's time that could have been. I mean, again, we talked about it last time, I think, about how they needed to have Siri in this season, but what all they did just, just not really hitting for me. Yeah, I agree. So I certainly enjoyed this episode, but 
I'm with you. It's not one that I'll be revisiting time and time again, like I will some of the others. And while I'm glad we got The Last Wish on screen, it, it certainly felt like something was missing. And, you know, if I, if I had a wish from a genie, I would wish for a slightly better episode, I think. Well, Brett, podcasts are podcasts. Lesser, greater, middling, they're all the same. But we've completed our contract and it's time to collect our reward. So leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the path.